one of the pastor elders here at Reality Ventura. Um, last Sunday, Billy taught on verses 14 through 19, and he walked us through Paul's prayer for the Ephesians and what it meant to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And today I will be teaching on verses 20 and 21 of Ephesians chapter 3. But for the sake of context, I'll be reading verses 14 through 21 from the English Standard Version, the ESV. So now let's read Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pause before reading verses 20 and 21. Now, in culmination of all that he has been praying, all that he has been declaring about God's limitless provision for his children, Paul gives this great doxology a hymn of praise and glory introduced in today's verses. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. Would you join me in prayer? Father God in heaven, we thank you for your holy, inspired, powerful word. And as we are reminded and read again Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, and then we go into verse 20 and 21, and we recognize that God, according to that power that is work, working within us, I ask for my brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters, that right now you'd quicken and increase their faith to believe and to apprehend this verse. God, that you would be glorified in our midst and glorified and magnified in and through their lives, O oh God. And God, I confess and I humble myself and I ask for grace right now. I ask for you to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to help me bring forth your word in demonstration of your Spirit's power for your glory and for the joy of your people in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, the title of this morning's sermon is Kingdom Family Power. Today, for the majority of our time, I want to look at and focus on verse 20, which is really a verse about the power of God. <clears throat> We're going to look at it piece by piece, and as we do... <clears throat> Ask yourself these questions. Do I believe God is as powerful as Ephesians 3.20 says he is? If I do, does my life reflect it? Again, let's look carefully at the first thing Paul says when he's describing the power of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Paul begins this verse with a very simple statement 
about the power of God. He simply reminds us that our God does things. Our God, the living God of the universe, does things. With those eight words, now to him who is able to do, Paul is reminding us our God is alive, our God is active, and our God is at work. It's simple, but it is profound. It is mind-blowing. If our God is a God that does things, what is it that he is able to do? Our verse this morning tells us, again, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. The NIV says, immeasurably more. God does immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Paul shows us God is able to do far more abundantly, immeasurably more than all we can ask or think or imagine. I, we should just be like, wow, that verse is mind-blowing. What it's saying is all the infinite God is able to do, far beyond your wildest imagination, he is able to do in you and through you. And the word abundantly, we, we need to understand this word because the word abundantly in the Greek is a very descriptive word. And yet the, our English language actually limits it. It doesn't just mean more. It actually means in the Greek, it means super abundance in quantity and quality. So a more descriptive picture of what Paul is saying about what God is able to do would be, now to him who is able to do far more super abundantly, super abundantly in quantity and quality than all that we could ask or think of. Why does Paul use this like over-the-top, hyper-descriptive language when speaking about the power of God. First, I think he's attempting to describe the indescribable. Have you ever been to the mountains or seen a sunset or a rainbow, rainbow that just blew your mind? You try to put words together to describe to other people what you saw, but those words never fully paint the picture, especially when I describe, try to describe what I saw in creation, because creation blows my mind. Like, just as the psalmist said, creation declares the glory of God. So when I'm up in the eastern Sierras and I wake up early in the morning, and as the sun is rising, and this golden sunlight is going up against this granite face. And I'm just looking at this golden sunlight, and the sunlight's really showing the distinctives of the granite face. There's these shadows and these distinctives in this golden light, and I'm just like getting pretty cosmic. I'm just like in awe of the wonder and glory of God. Or what about a sunset? I'm really into sunsets. And you know, like, you already kind of know when there's going to be a great sunset. When the, there's these, like, brush marks by God in the sky already. There's these cloud formations. And you just know, once that sun sets, within a minute or two, it's just going to ignite. And I'm always hoping and praying, I hope it ignites tonight. And then when, there's this, when it does ignite, there's these, like, pink hues and purples and Gold, like even a golden color at time, and the whole sky is like on fire, and I'm just getting cosmic again. I'm just, wow, this is glorious. But what about rainbows? 
I, I love rainbows. Rainbows blow my mind. And you know what really blows my mind? Double rainbows. <laughs> Double rainbows. I am just like getting so cosmic. I'm just, I'm, I'm like, I mean, people must just think I'm on drugs or something. <laughs> I'm just out there in the middle of the nowhere just looking at this double rainbow in all its glory because again creation declares the glory of God. So why does Paul use this over-the-top hyper descriptive language in speaking about the power of God? First I think he's attempting again to describe the indescribable. Second, I think he's trying to describe his confidence in just how powerful God really is. If I were to come up to you and ask if you could do 50 push-ups, what would you say? If you are confident, if you are confident in your ability to do 50 push-ups, you would say, yeah, I can do 50 push-ups. But if you are really confident, you would say, yes, I can do more than 50 push-ups. But if you are really, really confident, you would say, actually, I can do far more than 50 push-ups. But how confident would you have to be for your response to be, Chad, I can do far more super abundantly in quantity and quality than 50 push-ups. You would have to be pretty stinking confident in your push-up ability to make that kind of statement, as cheesy as it would probably be, but you'd be super confident. And we must understand, Paul doesn't come to us and say, God can do more than anything you can ask or think of. He could have made his point with that statement. He doesn't come to us, his people, and say, God could do far more than anything you could ask or think of. Because that would have definitely made his point too. No. Paul is so confident in the power of God, he says, he is able to do far more super abundantly in both quantity and quality than you could ask or think of. Then Paul tells us what God is able to do far more super abundantly in quantity and quality. He says this, back to Ephesians 3.20, to him who is able to do far more than all, than all that we could ask, more than all that we could think, according to the power at work within us. And there are two things that I want to point out. First is with the word ask. With the word ask. It's really important and vital for us to understand what Paul is saying that we have access to this far more superabundant power of God. But we've got to ask for it. Prayer is what allows us to access and to also experience the power of God in our lives. But there's another word here in this phrase I want us to focus on. It's the word think. Paul is making the claim, God is able to do far more abundantly than all that you can ask or think. That's a powerful phrase. And for, the, for those of us who are believers, think about yourself and your past. Has there ever been anything you've ever dreamed or imagined God could do through your life. For those of you who are young, if you are young today, please listen. I know God's given me a heart for you younger people, 
And here's the question for those of you who are young. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself how God wants to use your life for His glory? Have you ever imagined what He can do through your life? Do you know, young people, some of the greatest revivals and movements of God throughout church history that God chose young people to be His instruments to bring about those revivals and movements of God? If I, I wish I could take all day and speak on this. God moved in young people and gathered young people to pray in these different revivals, these different movements of God. Young people believing by faith. And God did radical things. And I encourage any young person in here that is being stirred by the Holy Spirit to just grab a friend or a couple of friends. It doesn't take many. It could just be a couple of you to believe God for revival, to believe God for a supernatural movement of God. What this country desperately needs is a great awakening, a revival. And I believe God wants to use, and I believe God wants to use young people to begin praying now, believing. And for those of you who are older, have you ever stopped and imagined how God could use the rest of your days for His glory? Older people, God loves you. His heart is for you. I know that it's tempting to put, put it in cruise control towards the end of your life. I understand as I'm getting older that you begin to experience life just beating you up, or maybe it's better said, life beating you down. And as we get older, we fall into the temptation just to put it into cruise control. That is not the will of God for us, older people. The will of God for us, that's not it. The will of God is that we would have the same spirit Caleb did. That as he declared at 85, I am stronger at 85 than I was at 45 when we first entered the promised land. I am stronger at 85 in the power and might of God to take more land for the kingdom. And that is the heart of God for you older people, to take more land for the kingdom of God. So shift it out of, yes and amen, shift it out of cruise control, stick it into first gear, and just start peeling out of here today and get radical, yeah. Yeah, I'm giving you permission to do a burnout when you leave church. Yeah, I mean, lay some rubber out of here and smoke those tires and do it for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. All right. I can't wait till that happens. It's going to happen. But again, have you ever imagined what God can do through your life? And yet, if we're honest, the answer would most likely be no. My guess is that most people don't spend a ton, a ton of time thinking about or imagining how God could use their lives powerfully for His glory. This is because deep down inside, a lot of us most likely struggle to believe the claim of Ephesians 3.20. We don't spend a lot of time imagining how God could use us powerfully because we struggle to believe the truth of this claim. When we read the scripture about the power of God, yeah, maybe we believe it. Like, I believe that. But at the same time, we struggle to believe that that same power actually applies to us 
that that same, pow- that same promise applies to me. If I asked you, if you believe God has the power to bring revival to your neighborhood, maybe the vast majority may answer yes. But if I asked you, if you believe God has the power to bring revival to your neighborhood through you, through you, how would you answer? I think most of us would be more hesitant to say absolutely. If I asked you, if God has the power to bring revival to your your entire school campus or your apartment complex or your place of work, I bet everyone in this room would raise their hand and maybe say, absolutely. But if I asked you, but do you believe he'll do it through you? Most of us would probably be hesitant or more hesitant to say absolutely. And because we struggle and believe God to do great things through us, we don't ask him to do them. Have you ever asked God to use you to end sex trafficking in Ventura County? Have you ever asked God to use you to bring the name of Jesus to an unreached people group who have never heard his name that live on the other side of the world? Have you ever asked God to use you to raise up your children so that that they would change the world? Have you ever asked God to use you to heal someone of a terminal illness in Jesus' name for the glory of God? Have you ever asked God to raise you up to be a preacher of his word that's going to speak about his name to an entire generation? Have you ever asked God to bring revival to your workplace and do it through you? I think too many of you have never seen God do powerful, powerful things through you because you've never asked him to. And I, I do not mean that in a condemning way. I'm trying to lift up our faith. I'm trying to encourage us that maybe the reason is, is because you've never asked him to. God can do and will do powerful things through you. You just need to ask him to do them as Jeremiah 33.3 says. Jeremiah 33.3, for me personally, is the greatest promise in the Bible when it comes to prayer and asking God to do great things. Like there's no better verse in the Bible, there's no greater promise in the Bible that increases my faith and gets me excited to pray and intercede and ask God to do mighty things. Jeremiah 33 says, call to me. Call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. That promise there, He's inviting us. He's inviting you, his sons and daughters. He's just saying, call to me. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things. But I wonder how often God hears our prayers and the stuff we ask of him And he thinks they're just weak, inadequate prayers. We pray most of the time asking him if he would bless us or keep us safe or to have a good day. I wonder how often God hears those prayers and thinks they're fine. 
There's no condemnation in those prayers. I, I honestly think the heart of God would be like, they're fine, but too small. But too small. It would be like if Bill Gates were sitting outside the door here and he said after the service, every single person could come up to him. One of the richest people in the whole world and ask him for anything you wanted. Anything you wanted. He may not grant your request, but he wants you to ask him for anything because he has the power and he has the resources to make it happen. If that were the case, I'm, first of all, I'm sure like most of you right now would like get up and leave and get in line. Bill Gates is not here today, so stay in your seats. But secondly, I really have a hard time believing you would go up to Bill Gates and go, Bill, I don't want anything Honestly, I just want you to bless me. Would you bless me? Or, all I want is for you to help me, Bill. Have a good day. Or, I brought my lunch. Will you just bless my lunch today? I think Mr. Gates probably would look at you and say, you know, sure, I can bless you and I can bless your lunch and I can even help you have a good day but I can do more than that. I wonder if God ever hears us pray like that and thinks, I can definitely help you have a good day, but did you know that I am God who can do far more abundantly than anything you could ask or think of? We're we're talking about the living God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth, who created the universe and every molecule and every stinking planet and every star. And it's, I mean, I don't want to get too cosmic right now, <laughs> but God, we're talking about God here. God can do far more abundantly than anything you could ask or think of. Too many of us in this room have missed the unbelievable joy and privilege of being used powerfully by God in our lives simply because we've never asked Him to. The reason we don't ask him is because we don't believe he can or will. Again, let Jeremiah 33.3 increase your faith to believe this morning. He can do and he will do great and mighty things through you if you ask him. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. I want to take some time and I want to read some verses to you where the Bible describes who you are in Jesus and what the Bible says you would look like once you trusted in Christ. This is just, I just want the word of God to stir your faith, to increase your faith. This is who you are and what you're going to do and look like when you come to Christ. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory." 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. The Bible says you would be a light shining, new life living, darkness overpowering, praise producing, river of life flowing, and hell's gate trampling, victorious, unstoppable force in this world. That, I mean, come on. God. I just, we should just be like, I mean, hallelujah. I mean, that is what you will be in Christ Jesus. Does that describe you? If it doesn't, something's wrong. Either you're not a believer or you desperately need, in the best sense ever, discipleship and encouragement. It may just be discipleship and encouragement. And if you are a believer and you're getting discipled and, and this still isn't you, then it's quite possible your lack of belief is hindering the power of God through your life. If you are a Christian here this morning and you never ask God to use you in power because you struggle to believe he will or can, I want to read to you a quick story from the book of Mark. It's a quick story, but it's a powerful story. It's a moving story that I know many of are familiar with. Mark 9, 17 through 24, for your encouragement. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long I, am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And, the one, and when the Spirit saw him, meaning Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us. Have compassion and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. I love the Father's response. It's so appropriate for where many of us are right now in believing the power of God. Verse 24 says, Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. What an honest, what a humble, what a true prayer. That is a prayer we, a prayer we could pray tonight, pray today if that's us. I believe but help my unbelief. And immediately the boy was healed and delivered. 
I wonder how many of us need this to be our prayer today. God, I believe you have the power to do far more abundantly than anything I could ask or think. But I'm struggling to believe it's true for me. So would you help my unbelief? God, I'd love to see five of my unbelieving friends come to Christ this year. I believe you can do it. But would you help my unbelief that you can do it through me? God, I want to believe you can do a miracle and heal my broken family. God, I believe you can do it. But help my unbelief that you can do it through me. Church, my brothers and sisters, do not be shocked when our God, who is able to do far more super abundantly in quantity and quality than all we could ask or think of, begins to answer those kinds of prayers in your life. Don't be shocked. Yes! Okay, come on. Oh. I, you will not be shocked. If you begin to pray like this, he is going to do radical things and answer those prayers because this is exactly what Paul's praying in verses 14 through 19 about God's limitless provision for his children. When the Holy Spirit has empowered us, Christ has indwelt us, love has mastered us, and God has filled us with his own fullness, then he is able to do far more super abundantly than anything we could ask or think of. Until those conditions are met, God's working in us is limited. And yet when they are met, his working in us is unlimited. Jesus said in John 14, 12 through 14, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may, ask for, uh, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That's another cosmic, crazy, incredible promise, church. May that increase our faith, because there is no situation, no circumstance, no faith-filled endeavor, and no glorifying opportunity in which the Lord cannot use us and use you, provided we are surrendered unto him and the work of his spirit. Amen. As Paul declared that the effectiveness of his own ministry was that my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirit's power. Because the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. In power. And yet, at the same time, we need to remember that Paul's life and ministry wasn't without obstacles, challenges, and overwhelming situations. In 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 7, we see clearly how Paul overcame and was effective when he testifies as servants of God. We commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in, be in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, impurity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in 
the power of God. Everything Paul did was in the power of God. And in the power of God, there was nothing within the Lord's will that he could not see accomplished. That same power, brothers and sisters, works within us by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. That same power, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, works within us, works within you by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Come. I mean, maybe we just need to stand and give a little hallelujah. Come. I mean, Mick, I, you have the freedom to do that because I just feel like we, come on, this is, this is truth. This is the word of God. And also, let's not forget what Jesus said to his disciples after his resurrection in Acts 1, 7 and 8. It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus is saying, I am going to put my boldness, my, my boundless power, and my authority in you. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to put my boundless power and authority in you. You will receive power, and you will be clothed with power from on high. What kind of power was Jesus promising his disciples and all his disciples after him? That means all of us today who are followers of Jesus. Luke talks about this power over and over again. The power Jesus promises us brought God himself into the world through a virgin's womb. The power Jesus promises us healed the lame and the sick. The power Jesus promises, promises us cast out evil spirits and demons. The power Jesus promises us reigns right now over all creation. The power Jesus promises us is the power by which he'll come again. As Jesus was healing the sick, rescuing the demonized and teaching with unparalleled authority, he was demonstrating the unimaginable power he would give to us by his spirit. Yes, praise God. We should ask ourselves, do I live with a sense that this kind of power lives inside of me? Do I live with a sense that this kind of power lives inside of me? But just as important, we should ask ourselves, what does God want to do through us with all that power? As we read in Acts 1, 7 and 8, Luke quotes Jesus saying the same thing in his gospel. Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, the promise of the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's what I believe with all my heart God wants to do today. He wants to clothe us with power from on high. And yet, Jesus does not clothe us with power to climb the corporate ladder, build a stronger family, upgrade our standard of living, or fulfill all our dreams. We're not even clothed with power mainly 
to heal the sick, free the enslaved, and feed the poor. We are clothed with power to carry his name, to witness to the worth and wonder of Jesus Christ, to offer all people everywhere the chance to repent and believe in him and receive his forgiveness for all their sin, to taste joy that is greater than any they have ever known, as the psalmist said, that in his presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That is why the main, main reason, brothers and sisters, we are clothed with power is to carry the name of Jesus into our neighborhoods, into our places of work, into our school campuses, in, in wherever God is calling your places of rec recreation, God has clothed you with power to carry his name. And we share the gospel not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and in power, so that their faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And we will not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For we carry Jesus' name in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. If you want to experience the power of God at work in you, and watch the power of God move through you and witness the power of God rescuing dead and dying people because of you, boldly tell the world that Jesus is your Lord, Savior, and greatest treasure. Bear the name of Christ in what you do and what you say. There is nothing there is nothing the Holy Spirit is happier to do through you than to make much of Jesus. When by our surrendering and our yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit and by faith and believing, God is able to do far more abundantly then all we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us and through us. He is happy to do that through you. There's no greater joy that the Holy Spirit desires to do than your life and my life to make much of Jesus and only then are we truly effective for the kingdom of God. And only then is God truly glorified as verse 21 declares, to him be the glory, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. So in closing, I leave you with the questions I asked you at the beginning of the sermon. Do you believe God is as powerful as Ephesians 3.20 says he is? And if you do, are you willing to let your life reflect it? Father God in heaven, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who fearfully and wonderfully created every single person in this place in their mother's womb in the image of God. God, I thank you for this promise. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would increase 
our faith to believe it, to apprehend it, and to walk in it. I ask God for anyone here today that just needs to be clothed with power or, or just to be renewed afresh in the Holy Spirit and power of God that you would clothe them with power. You would fill them afresh. I pray for any of my brothers or sisters that's just discouraged. Would you encourage them this morning by your spirit and your promises? And I pray for any person in this room who has not yet put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the repentance of their in repentance for the forgiveness of their sins, that right now, Holy Spirit, you would quicken them, you would convict them, you would draw them to the Father, that they would say, yes, I believe, I repent, I put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit of God, come now in this holy time, this holy moment, and do it for your glory. So brothers and sisters, right now we have a res a, an opportunity. Please don't get up and leave. This is a holy moment. This is a holy time for us to respond to the Lord in worship, in communion, and in prayer. As you know, the carpets are right here. They're for us to respond in surrender and also an opportunity in humble adoration to receive from our Father. There's a communion elements to my right and my left. This is an opportunity for us to remember the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And my prayer team, the prayer team is on my right and my left. And I really believe, again, this is a holy moment a holy time for us to respond and get prayer. Maybe you're feeling weak. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you recognize I'm not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. We will pray for you. We will pray that you are clothed with power from on high to be his witness for his glory. Or whatever your need is, come up. Maybe you just need an increase in faith to believe. Come and receive prayer. Come and respond to the Father's love. Come and respond to God's grace. Come and respond and be in awe and wonderment of the God who created the heavens and the earth and loves you personally.